Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. All right, well, I'm excited to jump into week three of our 12 Steps to Freedom series, exploring the book of Exodus. Hope you've been enjoying it so far. If you've uh, missed any of the sermons, you can find them on our website, gracecommunity.ca front slash listen. While you're there, by the way, if you look under the listing for today's sermon, you will actually find my sermon notes. I create those every week for the small groups. So if you're part of our small group, um, that is the resource that you use to uh, take your group through your reflection on the sermon for the week, if you're a sermon-based small group. But uh, even if you're not in a small group, you can grab um, those notes. Even now, if you want, just press pause and uh, maybe bring it up on your phone, or if you'd rather print it out if you want to take notes, um, just go ahead and do that. Just pause, Pastor Todd, and uh, come on back with those notes, and you can follow along. The uh, interesting part is, if you're not part of our small groups, I just want to point this out, after each point, you'll see a section that is uh, in bold and italicized. That is meant to be the conversation point or the question point for the small group to use to interact with the point I have just made. And uh, even if you're not part of a small group, you can uh, use those for personal reflection throughout the week. Let me also take this opportunity to invite you to consider joining one of our small groups. I know um, during a pandemic is a bit of a weird time to consider doing that, but we have several groups that uh, meet online via Zoom. I know that uh, you might be sick of that. Um, As the winter moves on, we will be getting into some groups regathering uh, in the spring. In fact, as soon as we're out of the stay-at-home order, we will begin doing more and more of that. So uh, if you are interested in that, you can find out more information on our small groups on our website, gracecommunity.ca. I think the tab there is uh, Gets Involved. Last week, we took step two. The week before that, we took step one. This week, we will take step three on your 12 steps to freedom. Step one was to remember that God's hand is upon you. Step two, which we talked about last week, is to remember that God is involved in your life, specifically that God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. Thank you to all of you who sent me uh, feedback after last week's sermon. Many of you were deeply touched by it, and I'm really grateful. I did something new last week. I've never, ever prayed before um, after every point in a sermon. I was a little bit nervous about doing it, but uh, so, so thankful that it came out as well as it did. Thank you to Devin who helped me do that, and uh, to all of you who let me know that it uh, hit you in a really positive way. Let me just urge you to be sharing these sermons with your um, social sphere. If you know people who could really use uh, a lift from some of the messages that we deliver here at Grace Community Church, um, be bold. People are more open to spiritual things than perhaps at any other time in our life this far. So uh, send them the link, share about it. I would love for you to uh, get at us on social media to uh, share these on a Sunday to help build a groundswell around um, these teachings. If you find them authentic and down to earth, full of the spirit of God and power, if they speak to you in a real way, then uh, do us a favor and uh, help to spread the word. Um, It's not evangelism perhaps like we used to know it, but uh, it can be really, really effective. You never know who's watching your feed, and you never know um, who God will bring to the table because of you faithfully sharing what God is doing in this house. This week, we take step three, and this is step three on your 12 steps to freedom. Listen and let it happen. I like that one. I get this out of uh, Exodus chapter three, and today I will read you the entire chapter. Last week, we worked through it as we kind of 
went through the sermon. Today we'll actually read the whole thing off the top. Listen and let it happen. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Last week we called him Reuel. Don't worry, the Bible commentators agree that he probably had two names. Like one is like a nickname uh, and one is his proper name. So Jethro is the same as Reuel. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The Jebusites were those people who lived in Jebus, which would eventually become Jerusalem. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But, here we go, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? I love this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder 
the Egyptians. I love this chapter. It's funny, you know, as I was uh, prepping the series, I realized that I was going to be saying that almost every week because almost every chapter here in the book of Exodus is um, what I consider to be an iconic chapter. The events that are occurring in each chapter we come to are events that if you grew up in church were drilled into you in Sunday school. Even if you haven't been to church in your life, you're watching me here for the first time, you've probably seen one of the movies made about the Exodus. This is a very, very famous story. These are very, very iconic moments. This is the burning bush sequence here in Exodus chapter 3, the famous burning bush. My big takeaway here from this chapter is the activity of God. As I work through this chapter with you, I want you to just be on pins and needles to make sure that you notice all the ways in which God is active. It's the activity of God that is at the center of the story of Exodus chapter 3. Put another way, God is the action hero. I want to invite you to listen and to watch him work. Starting in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Moses. If you want to get free, right? 12 steps to freedom, that's the whole goal here. If you want to get free, you're going to need God to show up. Okay, don't miss this. God shows up and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Angel of the Lord is code for God. Typically, when he shows up in the Old Testament, it's described as the angel of the Lord showing up. God shows up. If you want to get free, you're going to need for God to show up. I want to suggest a way that you might set yourself up to be ready for God to appear. We know, of course, that God will show up if and when he's good and ready. You can't really do anything to make him do anything. But I do believe that you can posture yourself so that you are aware of him when he arrives and I do believe that it's important to ask him to show up. And of course, underlying all of that, I believe it's very important to admit that you need him to show up, which means to admit that you have need. So here's three words to help you posture yourself for the arrival of God. Admit, ask, anticipate. Okay, admit. Admit that you need help. I need help. Have you gotten to that point yet in your life? Has this season we're enduring as a culture broken you to the point that you finally admit your need? I've been tremendously guilty of this throughout my life. I'm a bit of a self-starter. In my younger years, I really prided myself on being able to do basically anything I set my mind to. And you're laughing at me, and rightly so, because as I got older and I suffered more and I failed more and I lost more, I realized that, oh, do I need a lot of help. I'm so thankful to now in my mid-40s be in the constant posture of need. Not a day goes by that I don't feel and express to God my abject need of his arrival. Admit. Ask. This means to pray persistently. Like my favorite, the persistent widow out of Luke chapter 18. I've touched on this in other sermons. But I started praying like the persistent widow about three years ago. And I got to say that I have never seen more breakthrough in my prayer life as I have since I began praying like the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, almost daring to bother God with my prayers. Pray persistently. Ask for God to show up. I guarantee you, he will admit, ask, anticipate. Let me remind you to cultivate the kind of life that watches for signs of the supernatural. Okay, anticipate God's arrival. You know, you have a loved one arriving home after a long journey. 
None of us have been doing any traveling for the last year, but you remember what that's like. Remember what, you, what it's like to wait in the airport for dad to come home from a business trip or mom to come home from a business trip? Remember how excited you were, that feeling you get, those butterflies you feel in your chest as you anticipate the arrival of your beloved? This is how we ought to think about God. I want to invite you to anticipate his arrival. Watch for signs of him and expect that those signs will show up in the midst of your real life, like we see in verse two, parts B. And the Lord appeared to him, where? In a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush. I love this, this hit me like a bolt from the blue. Here we see God appearing to Moses through his creation. So here's the point for you and me. Okay, take this to heart. If God can speak to Moses through a plant, how do you think he might speak to you? <laughs> awesome, right? You're welcome. Okay, don't, it's, it's right there, but we would just read past it and miss the point that God chose to use two physical things, fire and a bush, as tools through which he would communicate his presence to Moses. God shows up in and through his creation. If you uh, want to be free, let me remind you that your real life is going to be the context for God's activity. That's worth the price of admission right there. Your real life, not some mountaintop experience that you, you know, you have to pay to go to a conference and fly somewhere to get some mountaintop experience for someone to take you into God's presence. No. Right in the midst of your real life, in the midst of your day-to-day, -day, in your every day, that is where God will reveal himself, in that ordinary context. Let me invite you to expect his voice to echo in your every day. You've gotten so used to your every day that you have forgotten that God's voice is echoing in it. What's encouraging about this, this is not a hard teaching, because you can just literally flip that switch. You can repent, say, I'm sorry, Lord, that I've been missing you. Open my eyes, Lord, to see you. Open my ears, Lord, to hear you. Soften up my heart, Lord, to receive you. And if you pray that prayer with faith and sincerity, you will begin to notice God showing up in your everyday. I believe that God is everywhere present. I believe that he's been there all along. I just believe that you and I spend most of our time with our heads buried in the sand. I was gonna say something else. Devin knows what I was going to say. And so we miss him. We're so busy with the busyness that we miss him in the midst of our everyday lives. And look, don't be surprised if when he shows up, he does something strange. Still in verse 2, now in part C. So Moses looked at this burning bush, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. You might be thinking, come on, preacher. Everyone knows that bushes don't burn without burning up. Exactly. Also, dead men don't get buried and then get back up. I mean, somebody shout in this house, right? Dead men are not in the habit of getting buried and then getting back up. Let me use this moment to ask you a pointed question. Have you stopped believing in and expecting the supernatural to be a factor in your life? I mean, somebody say touche, preacher. This, to me, pastorally speaking, is one of the biggest problems with the prosperous Western church. I believe this has been our problem for all of my life in ministry. I recognize this problem in myself as a young man. I know that this is a problem I have to constantly be on guard against. 
It's easy for me to become professional and proficient while forgetting the power of God. Okay? Do not allow yourself to forget that we basically believe in practice a crazy story about a dead man who got back up. And the only reason we still believe and practice it is because it works. Why? Because it's true. So make sure that you don't become one of these dead Christians who are basically in this for the moral upside or because it's a very good system of control for keeping people from doing bad things and pushing them to do more good things. Make sure that you do not divorce the supernaturality from your Christianity because I'm here to tell you that without supernaturality, there is no Christianity. The bush is burning, but it is not consumed. If you want to be free, you're going to need to start believing in the miraculous again. I'll say it again. If you want to be free, you're going to need to start believing in the miraculous again, which you guessed it is going to require a response from you, like we see in verse 3 as we continue. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Okay, it's just simple. You'd like blow past verse 3 and never notice a thing. But I want you to notice that he turns aside. I will turn aside to see this marvelous thing. He turned aside. He changed what he was doing. He interrupted what he was doing. To, oh, somebody shout. He interrupted what he was doing to go see what God was doing. That was for you. Yes, that, I'm talking to you. That was for you. He interrupted what he was doing ooh, to go see what God was doing. Here's the question. Are you willing to interrupt your daily routine to go and see what God is doing? Let me just remind you here, it's not a one-time event with Moses. Okay, every biblical character I can think of got interrupted by God. Noah, happily living his life, God shows up, says, I'm going to flood the earth. It's time for you to start building an ark. It's going to take you most of your adult life to do it. Go ahead. I thought of the apostles happily fishing on the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful region in Israel. To this day, it's gorgeous. People go there for vacation. It's wonderful. They're happily building their lives. Then this rabbi named Jesus shows up and ruins everything, quote unquote, interrupts their life and invites them into his grand adventure. If you want to be free, you need to start responding to God again even if it means interrupting your staid, careful, prosperous Western life. I'm preaching for your jugular today. I didn't even know it was going to come across like this, but there you go. How bad do you want freedom? It's going to require some divine interruption, and you have to be willing to let it happen. It's very scary here that God is waiting on Moses. We see this in verse 4. So Moses just said, I'm going to turn aside and see this wonderful thing. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him from the bush. This is frightening. It's as if God is waiting to see what Moses will do. And then when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see. What's God seeing in you? It's, it's totally frightening to think that God might be waiting on our response. If you want to be free, 
I want to invite you to ask yourself this question, okay? Ask it for reals, okay? To quote my friend Escaleto from Nacho Libre. Okay, ask yourself the question for reals, for reals. Am I turning to God or from Him? You're turning to Him or from Him? And are you turning to what God is doing in the world or are you turning from what God is doing in the world? Very frightening that God might be waiting to see what you will do. It's frightening because he knows who you are and he knows who he is and he knows very clearly what the implications are. Here they are in verses 4 through 10. When the Lord God saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moshe, Moshe, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come! I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. A big section. I want to draw out a few things here for you. One, God knows Moses by name. All right? The Bible is a story of God and his people. If you are one of his people, he knows you by name. How startling would it have been for Moses? Minding his own business, he sees a burning bush, he goes aside to see it, God speaks to him out of the burning bush, and he knows his name. God knows your name. Don't think that you are slipping his gaze. He is aware, he knows who you are. Also notice that when God introduces himself to Moses, he introduces himself in the context of relationship. The point being that God roots his identity in his relationship with his people. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Somebody ought to say, woo. Why? <coughs> it's very significant that God roots his own identity in his relationships with his friends. Are you one of those friends today? Do you want to be? If you want to be, you can become his friend today. It's as easy as pausing right now in the midst of Pastor Todd's sermon and saying, Dear Jesus, I don't want to wait to the end. I don't want to wait till he gets to the gospel. Right here when he said about being your friend, I knew in my heart that that's me. Make me your friend today. Do whatever it takes to turn me into one of your people. Do that by a work of your spirit, miraculously in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the family of God, dear friend. You are now a friend of God. Hallelujah. God identifies himself by his friends. 
I also want to note here that God knows what happens to his friends, to his people. God has seen, he heard, he knows what's happening to his people in Egypt. This is an echo of last week's sermon. Point number two on your 12 steps to freedom. He is involved with you. He hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. I mean, somebody say hallelujah. You might need to go back and watch last week's sermon again. You might need to go back and send that link to somebody you know who needs to know that God is involved with them. This is beautiful. He's so involved, in fact, that he has come down to deliver. This is poetry right here. This is symmetry with the New Testament story right here that God would come down to deliver. Here's the point. God steps in to deliver. It's kind of what he does. If you find yourself needing the deliverance of God, no, one, he has already stepped in. Two, all you need to do is ask. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Holy Spirit, move in my life. You just need to ask. God is the kind of God who steps in to deliver. And then beautifully, powerfully, frighteningly, God sends. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Okay? This ought to echo into your heart and mind as a Christ follower. Because in Jesus, we, like Moses, are the sent people of God. Did you know that that's what Christians are? We're the sent people of God. It's what it means to be one of Jesus' people. Your life is meant to be lived on mission with Jesus in culture. Meaning you're meant to walk out your relationship with Jesus in the midst of the real world. Okay, in the midst surrounded by real people in the real world. That is where you are meant to live out your relationship with Jesus as you work with him to seek and save the lost and to work towards the renewal of all things. This is why you have been put on the planet. Let me tell you this, pastorally, and I, I, I say it, you know, without apology because I really genuinely care about you. If you find yourself feeling trapped these days, you might be feeling trapped because you have forgotten that God knows, that his relationships are what define him, that he's involved, that he is the deliverer who steps in, and that he has sent you. There's a very good chance that the reason you're feeling trapped by life is because your relationship with God sucks. There's a very good chance that you are feeling adrift and purposeless in life because you don't spend any time at all on God's mission and culture to seek and save the lost and to work towards the renewal of all things. There's a very good chance that your life is really about you. And look, I gotta say that I have to guard against that in my own life every single day. It is impossibly easy to just fall into the routine of doing what you can to take care of your own, to look out for number one, and then if you have a spouse, a partner, some kids perhaps, or a circle of friends that you are responsible for, you care about them. But really when it all comes down to it, you're just trying to make your way in the world. That's why you feel trapped, because you're not on mission with Jesus and culture, which is the reason that you exist. If you want to be free, you need to reclaim these truths. God knows. He defines himself by his relationships, so you better be in relationship with him. He's involved. He's the deliverer who steps in, and he is the God who sends. But instead of reclaiming these truths, we most often find ourselves doubting. Like Moses in verse 12. To this great soliloquy from God himself, Moses says, so uninspiring, uninspiringly, just like you and me, but I, sorry, he said, what does Moses say? 
where I've missed my, I've lost my point. He says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt? Have you ever said to God, who am I? It's a very good chance that you say it all the time. I feel it almost all the time. Who am I to do this thing? Who am I? I'll tell you who you are. You're a nobody who's friends with the great somebody. Hallelujah. We're nobodies who are friends with the great somebody. We find this in the second half of verse 12. In response to Moses' doubt, who am I? God says a beautiful thing. But I will be with you. I mean, that changes everything right there. Doesn't it? If God exists, if he is who he says he is, if he does what he said he'll do, then that God being with you is not only the best news you've ever heard, it's the only thing you ever need to hear because it changes everything. But I will be with you. But what should I say? I'll tell you what you should say. I am that I am. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. And they will listen to your voice, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, so I will stretch out my hand and I will give this people favor. And when you go, you shall not go empty, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. I want to point out here as I close that in this last section of Exodus chapter 3, we see that God makes a promise. You've just heard those great promises. God makes a promise. He has a plan. It's incredible to me that he already knows what's going to happen, and he tells Moses what's going to happen before it has happened. God makes a promise. He has a plan, and that plan involves complete restoration and the turning of the tables on the enemies of God's people. That's what it means there at the end. When he's saying, so shall you plunder the Egyptians, that he will give them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians so that when their wives ask the women that they know in their parts of the city to give them supplies and gifts as they go, that they will give them silver and gold and food and clothing that they will put on their children. So shall they plunder the Egyptians. This is God turning things on their head. This is God restoring to the Hebrew slaves those things that had been taken from them through oppression. Complete restoration and the turning of the tables on God's enemies. Who is our enemy? Sin and death and suffering are our enemy. And I want you to know today that in Jesus, God has turned the tables on your great enemies. And he is, even now, in the business of restoring to you that which was lost. That's what happens when God speaks. 
So uh, take your third step to freedom. Listen, and then let it happen. And somebody said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you're leaving feeling encouraged. If you have any questions for us or you'd like to pay us a visit, you can find all the info you need on our website, gracecommunity.ca.